sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I was watching a movie with my wife at the time, and I was like, CJ's calling me. He never calls me. But he said something about Uda. I'm like, nah, I saw that Facebook post. I think it was Sunday, and I, I messaged him, but I haven't heard back from him. I was going to hit him up a little later. He's like, you're not going to get him. We mean I'm not going to get Was he in jail? Like... He's like, Udo's gone, bro. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. We're a bit of a mess. Alexis threw out half of her body. (laughs) I am jet lagged as fuck. So we're struggling to keep it together, but we can't miss an episode even on Christmas week. We would never. And this isn't just like a call-in episode. This is a super important episode and one that centers on what a lot of people experience over the holidays and in the winter in general, depression, issues with their mental health, feelings of isolation. These are a lot of issues that come up for people that we want to address in this week's episode. Yeah. I think when you think about the holidays, everybody is like, it's, you know, lights and Christmas cookies and presents and stuff like that. But a lot of people are struggling during this time. So this was a really important episode that I think that a lot of people can take something from and resonate with a little bit. So, right. And all of our families, they're demanding a lot from us. We're doing a lot for others this holiday season. But I think the most important thing we can remind ourselves is that we have to take care of our mental health and take care of the mental health of others and work together in doing that. And, you know, that's what life is all about, really. Exactly. So should we get into everything? Yeah. What's the day today? So it is... Wednesday, December 21st. It is two days until Festivus. It is four days until Christmas. So Uh, just to keep that onto your countdowns, there's a lot of days going on, which I was a little bit shocked about because I feel like we're so close to Christmas. People would kind of give up on the days, but there's a lot of days. Don't make your bed day, which I'm really into during this time of the year. It's like, fuck it. What day is it? Has it been a whole day? Is it naps that I'm taking or am I sleeping at night? It's sort of a blur this time of year. It is. It's also National French Fried Shrimp Day. I don't know what a French fried that shrimp is. That sounds like a coconut shrimp or a, a butter, like a popcorn shrimp, which I'm down for either. Yes. It's also National Hamburger Day, National Kiwi Fruit Day, National Ribbon Candy Day, lots of uh, food days. This is great. And also the first day of winter. So, you know, celebrate I'm here how for you can. All of this. That's right. I love it. Well, I do think that's enough of that. So let's turn on the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. These days, the stigma around seeking and receiving mental health treatment is a lot less than it used to be. So many more people are open about going to therapy, taking medication, and engaging with many different types of support, which is both fantastic and essential in normalizing mental health concerns. In fact, you could say that amongst certain sections of the population, it's almost become a non-issue. So much of the shame associated with speaking up and reaching out for help has been stripped away due to increased awareness, thanks to advertising and public health campaigns, and the prevalence of mental health content on global platforms like TikTok. But those who have the privilege of being able to both access and afford mental health treatment have it far easier than those sections of the community, especially minorities, for whom this range of options simply isn't as widely available. 
And when you take into account cultural norms and nuances around discussing mental health for people of color, the entire thing becomes even more complex for those who want or need to seek help but don't know where to start. And often, people suffering from severe mental health crisis have no idea they're descending into madness and dangerous thinking. So we begin today's case on June 6th of 2021. So this is just 18 months ago. During this time, mask mandates were lifted across the U.S. as the country opened back up during the global pandemic. And much of the western half of the U.S. was in the grip of a severe, unprecedented drought with mm, California bearing the brunt of the emergency as we do. As usual. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced the birth of their daughter, Lilibet or Lilibet or something. This is how little I know about the royal family. Well, Lilibet is a nickname for Elizabeth. And I think oh. that's what the queen, that was her nickname growing up. Mm, okay. So Lilibet. On the pop music charts, BTS were at number one with their single Butter, which is a great song, followed by Olivia Rodrigo at the number two spot with Good For You. And at the box office, the Conjuring franchise, their third one called The Devil Made Me Do It was at the top of the theater charts, I guess that's what you call it. Totally. So the setting for today's story is Atlanta, Georgia. And Atlanta is the 38th largest city in the U.S. and was host to the 1996 Summer Olympic Games. Georgia's state capital has a population of about 497,000 people, while the greater metro area is home to almost 6.2 million. So not a small town. Atlanta is on the ancestral lands of the Georgia Cherokee and Muscogee Creek people. Atlanta is historic in more ways than one, also serving as a focal point for organizers of the civil rights movements during the 1960s. The city's economy continues to be driven by logistics and is the international home to major companies including Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Mercedes-Benz, and UPS. Famous faces who were born in Atlanta include Margaret Mitchell, Martin Luther King Jr., Gladys Knight, Julia Roberts, and the beloved CeeLo Green. Wow, that is a lot of celebs. Totally. So our first degree for today's story is named Clay. And after graduating high school in the late 2000s, Clay enrolled at the University of Cincinnati in Southern Ohio. I want to say it was 2007, 2008. I had just moved to Cincinnati and I was going to go for my undergrad. I was going to get a paralegal degree and then I was going to go to law school. Clay grew up in a Christian family and was heavily involved with the church. So at college, he continued this involvement with what could best be described as joining a Christian frat group. Through this group of friends, Clay met another student named Udo, who'd been a talented college football player, but had to quit due to a serious injury. When I met him, he played for UC the year before I moved there and then destroyed his knee, like total reconstruction, ACL, PCL, MCL. Like if it ended in a CL, it needed to be fixed. At the time, I was trying to get back into church to just be a better person. And one of my roommates, him and Udo, had grown up together. Udo was his best friend. And there was one day we were, I think we were playing basketball and he brought Udo along and then Udo and I just clicked. So Udo actually had an interesting background. He was born in Nigeria in 1987 and he was said to be the son of a former high chief. And while still a young boy, Udo and his parents moved to Los Angeles where two more children were born. The family then moved to the East Coast, possibly New York or New Jersey, before ending up in Cincinnati. He was either naturalized or he had dual citizenship because one of the articles listed his father as the high chief of the Asaba province. And I think that's why people thought he just immigrated because technically he was a prince. But as long as I knew him, he never like, oh, I'm a prince. Like he was just Udo. Udo was just a down to earth, fun loving guy, the sort of person others easily warmed to and felt comfortable around. And he was definitely someone who always had his friends' backs if it came to the crunch. Zoo was hilarious. He was always like the caretaker of the group. And like, hey, you know, like, you're a little too reckless right now. Let's pump the brakes or whatever. If we didn't and it came, you know, like, oh, it's time to fight, he'd be right there on the front line with you. Like, right or wrong, I'm going to defend you and then we'll hash it out later on why you fucked up. Udo was as loyal of a friend as you can get, and he was always inclusive of others. I just remember him always being very outgoing, very friendly, where, like, I'm shy, quiet, and reserved. He was always, like, 
wanting to make new friends and, and make people feel included. And I think that was also something that like helped us click. You know, he saw us like the new guy, quiet, kind of shy, and he reached out, you know, hey, come on, let's go play basketball, or, you know, hey, let's go play a pickup game of football, or whatever. He was always very motivated to put himself in a better financial situation than what he grew up in. When we were all together, it was just like a family setting. I would say he was probably the ringleader and just always the protector and taking care of people, making sure everybody felt good, felt welcomed, and, and felt safe. There was one time, obviously I'm white, very white. We went to this one club and they were taking pictures and they caught all of us together. I'm the only white boy in this club. And he got tagged in it for his Facebook. And then he was like, oh, it didn't tag you. So he tagged me. I'm like, dude, come on. I'm the only white. Like, and he just laughed. I was like, nah, you're the only white boy, but you still have a plate at the cookout, you know? And that's just how he was. I was just his brother. Udo just fostered a sense of brotherhood amongst his friends. He wasn't afraid to call them out if he felt they were out of line, especially in their interactions with women in their lives. There was one time that the girl I was seeing at the time, I wasn't really yelling at her, but I was not talking to her in a polite way. And uh, he pulled me aside. He's like, yo, you cannot talk to her like that. As ride-or-die BFFs, Clay and Udo spent their entire college life together. They were having a ton of fun, and they even started a music group in late 2008 and 2009. And the group performed at a concert series in Cincinnati, and they wanted Clay to be their manager. So Clay, at this point of his life, was just like having the best time ever. He was living the ultimate college dream with a solid group of friends. Like, you can't ask for more. It's all people want. It was always me and Udo. My birthday is the 4th of October. His birthday was the 5th. So we would always celebrate our birthdays together. It was awesome. It's probably one of the best times in my life. It's, it's, I felt accepted by everybody. But alas, all good things must come to an end. And when Clay and Udo finished college, they ultimately went their separate ways, at least geographically. And that happens. You know, people g- come from all over the country or the world to attend a university. And then when you're done, everybody kind of redisperses and goes in their own direction. So with a potential career in football, now a distant memory, Udo decided to focus on his future in music, and he decided to do that in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know what led him to go to Atlanta. I think part of it was the music scene down there, because at that point he was trying to go solo and have his own style away from the group. The group still existed, but it was like they go off, do their own thing. So the years were passing and Clay married and had a family, but he was still in touch with his college friends, including Udo, who actually became the godfather to Clay's daughter. Then one day in the summer of 2021, Clay learned something that hit him like a ton of bricks. He hadn't chatted with Udo in a minute, but had seen some odd posts of his on Facebook. So when he saw these posts, Clay reached out to his friend, but he didn't hear back. And honestly, he didn't think much of it. You know, life keeps going. Until he got a phone call from a mutual friend named CJ. And this phone call would change everything. I was watching a movie with my wife at the time, and I was like, CJ's calling me. He never calls me, so I paused the movie. I'm like, hello? Couldn't hear exactly what he said, but he said something about Udo. I'm like, I messaged him, but I haven't heard back from him. I was going to hit him up a little later. He's like, you're not going to get him. We mean I'm not going to get him. Was he in jail? Like, He's like, Udo's gone, bro. I said, what do you mean, what do you mean gone? Like, Like, prison gone? And I knew what he meant. I'm just like in denial at this point and he sent me that article and I read it and I just broke down. Clay's world was completely turned upside down in an instant. His former best friend was dead. But how in the short space of just a few days could this have happened and why? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We gotta go back. In June of 2021, our first Greek Clay received the shocking news about the sudden death of his best friend from college, 34-year-old Udo Nuamu. So let's get into what was happening for Udo behind the scenes after he left college. So we know that following graduation, he moved to Atlanta to pursue a career in the music industry. And he was off to an encouraging start because he was featured on a TV show and released some music under the stage name Glamour Boy. But Udo had other career aspirations as well. 
and he kind of became somewhat of an entrepreneur. And we're looking at some photos of him right now, and he was a super attractive guy. So it was no surprise to anybody that he got into modeling. And being the hustler that he was, he also started his own business doing armed security. So he was putting his eggs in a lot of different baskets, which I appreciate. For real. And looking at a picture of him, he looks like someone a casting director would cast as like a handsome best friend. You know, like it's like he's just a handsome guy. He's wearing a bucket hat in one. Like, love that. And a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, he's got some interesting tattoos, a really symmetrical face. He looks familiar in a weird way. I don't know how to explain it, but he's a very marketable, attractive man. Yes. At some point after 2019, Udo met a college graduate in her early 20s named Kylia. Unfortunately, any publicly available information about how they met and the details of their ensuing relationship has proved very elusive in our research, which makes it difficult to fill in the gaps, but we're going to do our best with information we have been able to find. So Kalia Janae Ratliff was born on October 17th, 1996 to her parents, Klim Ratcliffe and Akita Scott. And from what we know, it appears that she was her father's only child, but she was one of seven children for Nikita and appears to be the eldest of them. Right. And for chronological purposes in our story, it doesn't appear that Klim and Nikita were ever married. After Kylia was born, they split up and Klim moved back to Houston, Texas. Kylia used to visit her dad and his family in Houston pretty often. And Kalia was super, super spunky. She was always cracking jokes. She was vivacious, headstrong, outspoken, and intelligent. And with a bit of what her brother good naturedly described as having a little bit of a diva streak. And this was because Kalia liked to joke with her loved ones that she was the Beyonce of her family. Well, I think that's normal. I'm the Beyonce in my family. And Jack, I know you are too. <laughs> you actually are though. I really are because it's uh, one of one. One of one. But Kalia was also, she was warm, she was loving, and she was loud and proud about support for her family. So she would help her brother prepare for his acting auditions and always wanted to see her family succeed in general. She was everyone's biggest cheerleader. In 2015, Kalia graduated high school and went to study at Valdosta State University in Georgia. We're looking at pictures of Kylia now and another, you know, beautiful individual. Gorgeous. Beautiful face, beautiful skin. Amazing hair. Got the um, smizing down with her eyes. She's just oh, yeah. gorgeous. So at some stage after Kalia and Udo met, they got married. And we don't really know where, when, or who even attended the ceremony or how long they've even been together. Because as we've said, that's sadly how little information is out there about this story. Even weirder is that Clay is pretty fuzzy on the details too, despite the fact that they maintained a very close relationship after college. Information about this relationship that Udo was having and marriage he ultimately had, he wasn't forthright about. And Clay was as surprised as everyone when he saw Udo formally update his Facebook relationship status to married because Clay had never even met her. And it sounds like it was kind of a whirlwind romance that came together pretty quickly. Nobody knew exactly when it just happened. It was like one day, it was just on Facebook, married. I had heard of her from him. I had seen when he got married and all that, but I'd never met her. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words then phrases and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. 
Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. At some point after the wedding of Udo Nuwamu and Kalia Ratliff, their marriage hit a rocky patch in the spring of 2021. We're not 100% sure what the source of their tensions as a couple were, but Clay heard some information through the grapevine that could explain what was going on. So apparently the couple may have entered into a polyamorous, ethical, non-monogamous type relationship, but we don't really know how true this is. And Clay doesn't know how true it is either. But there were other rumors involved in all of this that were speculative as well. I've heard rumors that I don't know for sure, and... I wouldn't swear this is what happened because I don't know. There was a girlfriend. I don't know if it it was a shared girlfriend or if it was a just one of theirs, but they had conspired to set him up to be robbed. And I guess he shot at the guy, didn't do anything, but it like kind of shook him. And from that point on, he and his wife were separated at the time. Again, don't know, but I cannot verify that in any way, shape, or form. Regardless of the cause of the conflict, in the spring of 2021, Kalia moved out of the marital home that she was sharing with Udo and back in with her 46-year-old mom, Nikita, and stepfather. And Kalia was super, super close with her mom. They both loved fashion and shopping and had such similar personalities that their family thought of them as true kindred spirits. And this reminds me of how my relationship with my mom is, so I love it. Oh, totally. The first time I, I was reading all this research and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a Jack in May, like yeah. mother-daughter bond, you know? And we also are looking at a picture of them together and they're just so freaking cute. They and look the same. Look so similar. Yeah. yeah. It, she it's looks adorable. exactly, they look like sisters really. Yeah. So to give some background on Kalia's mom, Nikita Tawana Scott was born on December 22nd, 1974 and was one of four children to her parents. From an early age, she was extremely family-oriented, hanging out with them at every opportunity. Nikita graduated from Archer High School in Lawrenceville, where she played clarinet and was a majorette in the marching band. And she started working and made friends wherever she went, thanks to her magnetic personality and unabashed verve for life. She loved going to the mall, going skating, attending parties, and cruising around town in her geostorm. Like, sounds like a fucking blast to me. Sounds like heaven. It sounds like heaven. And she was a woman of integrity whose drive, resilience, and sense of humor always lifted people up. And Nikita wasn't afraid to speak her mind, but had great compassion and commitment to her family, her friends, and her work. When Nikita was 21 years old, she gave birth to Kalia, who took her father's surname. Nikita went on to have three more children before meeting her future husband, 
who was a minister in the mid-2000s. In one of those sliding doors moments, both Nikita and her husband, who we're going to call Robert, not his real name, but we're going to call him Robert for the sake of our episode, Nikita and Robert met at a club. Despite both having separately gone along with friends and not really wanting to be there. But the two of them locked eyes and uh, they didn't regret going to the club that night, which most people usually do when they get there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little kismet. So when Nikita was 30 years old, they married on November 26th of 2005. And her husband often told people that Nikita was the best thing to happen to him and the loved up couple went on to have three children together. Nikita was a dedicated and actively involved mother. She gave unwavering support to all of her children's endeavors, whether it be gymnastics, football, basketball, or the performing arts. Despite moving to a different school district when Kalia was in high school, Nikita drove her eldest daughter to the same school every day because she wanted Kalia to finish school where she'd started instead of uprooting her and moving her away from her friends in her final years of high school. That's really sweet. That is really sweet. So after working for the city of Atlanta, Nikita took a job at the Emory Transplant Center attached to Emory University in Atlanta. But another central part of Nikita's life was her devotion to her Christian faith, and she often spent her summers in vacation Bible school. In 2017, she joined the Memorial Church of God in Christ, where she became a member of the Christian Women's Council and undertook two years of study at the C.H. Mason Bible College. Right. So getting back to Kalia. While the future of her marriage to Udo was unclear, she at least had a soft place to fall with her mom while she worked out what she wanted to do about her relationship. Meanwhile, Udo was by now referring to himself as a prince on his Facebook account. He described himself as God-fearing, as an executive production agent, a rapper, and an entrepreneur, with his About Me section saying, I love beautiful women, followed by the hashtag Glamour Boy, with boy being B-O-I. And this was kind of unusual. These were new updates to Facebook. And among some of the weird things that Clay had kind of clocked about Udo's Facebook activity recently. On June 2nd, 2021, Udo posted a succession of unusual status updates, including I am a prince. Ladies, I'm watching you. I'm allowed to have more than one wife. May God send our feminine angels to help save her man. The black man needs you. And the police need to start investigating women who tried to frame men 20 years. He continued, Pussy is powerful, but not as powerful as man. We were made first. Never forget that. Another status. What would you do if your wife and your side bitch tried to frame you? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm curious because that shit be happening. And this is possibly in reference to the rumor that Clay mentioned earlier, not only about the open marriage, but possibly being set up. Another status read, modern women have trouble being honest. And finally, there is too many bad people out there in the world. And we're looking at the screenshots. You know, this is, this is yeah, he's posting. And people, you know, are liking or disliking. There's a lot of angry emojis, responses. Yeah. And it kind of makes it seem as though this is an unusual stance for him to be taking. Yeah. And and that's just like a lot of status updates to be posting on one day too. I'm not sure what his activity was on his Facebook leading up to that, but it's just, it's kind of frantic and it's, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. Yeah. This is just 10 and there, I think there were even more that day. So clearly he's having a moment. And when Clay saw these posts, he was obviously getting kind of concerned for his friend's mental health. The provocative, disrespectful, and borderline paranoid tone of Udo's status updates really did not sound like the friend that Clay knew and loved. This is shit that Udo would never say, according to Clay. And out of Clay's whole group of friends, he described Udo as being the most respectful to women. So none of this is making sense to him. I would see him as I was scrolling... And it would be one of those, like, I know we all do it, you know, like, oh, they posted that. I really should check up on them because that seems like something's going on. And then you get busy with life. But I mean, I saw some of them and I'm just like, man, Udo, what is going on? And every time I'd be like, man, I need to, I need to check on them. I need to check on them. And I, I never did. But just his, I guess, demeanor, we'll call it over the last few weeks. There was something going on. His last Facebook post, I think it said, uh, to all my loved ones, I love y'all, it's been real, or something like that. I reached out to him like when I saw that, and I know that over the few days before that, his Facebook posts, I don't want to say like odd, but they became more bizarre. 
you got to admit, to all my loved ones, I love you. It's been real. That's ominous. And that's a terrifying status update to read on your friend's Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, we see people now deleting their Twitter, deleting their Facebook. You know, it's like in seeing this without any context, it could mean, is he deleting his social media? Is he deleting Facebook? Is he sick of this drama? Is he, you know, it doesn't necessarily explicitly indicate that his life is in danger or anyone else's is. But I mean, this one has 72 comments under it, 23 shares and 122 reactions. So I think this one put people back on their heels, his friends who were friends with him on Facebook. So in the early morning hours of June 6, 2021, 34-year-old Udo left the home that he shared with Kalia in East Point. He drove over to the home of Kalia's mother, Nikita, which was in nearby Douglasville, and he brought a handgun with him. After shooting at both the front and the rear of the house, he forced his way into the home, and neighbors heard the good shots immediately and called 911. Inside the house, Udo ambushed Nikita, her husband, and Kalia. Sheriff's deputies and the Douglas County Emergency Response Team, including a hostage negotiator, rushed to the scene. Udo fired upon the officers from inside, forcing them to take cover outside by their vehicles. We don't know what was said during these attempted police negotiations or how far law enforcement was into this negotiating process trying to get a surrender with Udo. But as they were underway and as, you know, these negotiators and investigators were trying to get a handle on the situation, an additional single gunshot rang out from inside the home. Officers tried to make contact with Udo from the outside of the home, but were instead met with silence. Deciding to enter the residence, the sheriff's emergency response team found Nikita's husband incapacitated. He'd been shot in the knee, but he was alive. However, Nikita and Kalia were lying dead on the ground. Udo was also on the ground, and he'd taken his own life with the same firearm that he used to kill his estranged wife and mother-in-law. In the days following the murders, you'd think there would be, you know, wall-to-wall media coverage on the devastating events. I mean, Udo was on TV. He was somebody who had a rap career and had a lot of friends and had a family who loved him. But no, Kalia and Nikita as well. I mean, these were, you know, well-established women with huge families. And it was shocking to everybody connected to this story that there was so little information and news coverage available. Most of the public commentary came via a limited amount of Nigerian-based blog and news posts, where the comment sections were really popping off. Like There was a huge interest in this case, but very, very little coverage. And frankly, the level of the victim blaming targeted at Kalia and her mother was pretty disgusting. A lot of people clung to this idea that it was an open relationship. And no matter what, um, Kalia and Nikita have no blame in this horrific tragedy that stole their lives. I mean, this was a disgusting act. And um, it makes me really sad to hear that because I'm sure it's really hard for their friends to read that stuff. And I'm sure as you're listening right now, you're probably thinking what we're thinking. And it's not a stretch to say that the fact Kalia and Nikita were women of color, black women likely had a lot to do with there being little to no reporting on this case whatsoever. At least from a media perspective, there was no outrage about anything, no pearl clutching, no cries for action to explore what led to this tragedy or what could have been learned to prevent it from happening again. And, you know, it really begs you to think, would this story about the family annihilation of an attractive white woman have disappeared so quickly into the ether? We absolutely do not think so, and neither does Clay. It's just one of those things where it's just so underreported. And part of that probably is the reality of the situation in in the world that we live in. They were people of color and the media just didn't give a shit. Well, maybe the media didn't have questions, but Clay does. And we certainly do. Right. The biggest one being, why did Udo do this? So using a feminist perspective as example, one answer is simply because he could and because he felt entitled to do so. And that's certainly a possibility. He's not here to explain why he would do something so horrific. And without any information other than Udo's social media posts available to us in the days and hours before the murders, there is little additional insight as to what else factored into all of this, into this all or nothing decision making. 
And it is clear that Udo was not in a good headspace for at least a week leading up to the murders. And we do want to preface this by saying that this is not an attempt at excusing Udo's actions. We're not defending him. We're not saying that he was an otherwise good guy who just made an instantaneous decision, which is really this kind of narrative that we see around these types of stories. We are all responsible for our own actions and nothing can excuse such violence, especially when it appears there was a level of premeditation involved in this case. Right. And we asked Clay what he thought led to such a heartbreaking outcome. And if he could have seen anything that may have been able to prevent this tragedy, After all, Udo was the guy schooling Clay in college on speaking to women respectfully. And that certainly isn't reflected in the Facebook posts and these despicable actions of taking the life of his wife and his mother-in-law. But like, could Udo have developed an undiagnosed mental illness or have had some kind of psychotic break? I mean, what else would explain such a drastic, you know, swinging of the pendulum from someone being a good guy to a bad guy? And given his history of playing football, could undiagnosed CTE be a contributing factor? So if you don't know what CTE is, it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It is a progressive brain condition that is suspected by repeated blows to the head, including concussion. And it's received a lot of publicity in the recent years over the long-term impacts on the lives and behavior of ex-athletes who played contact sports like football and boxing and those kind of sports. So symptoms include short-term memory loss, changes in mood, especially depression, difficulty making decisions, and even the onset of early Parkinson's disease. I believe it would be the CTE because the Udo that I knew and was in school with and all that was very even-keeled, very polite, a gentleman. He was the type that would hold doors open for women, help them get out of the car, that type of thing. Him doing this crazy. So if CTE wasn't a factor in this case, could it simply be a matter of Udo being unhappy about his love life, given his Facebook posts implied friction between himself and his wife, Kalia? He was possessed by something else. You know, that, that, that was not him. Part of what torments Clay is the replay of events in his head, wondering if he could have stopped Udo. But Clay tries not to blame himself for not being able to prevent what happened. So hear us loud and clear. Clay, This was not your fault. You were an amazing friend, and you're a kind and compassionate person, proven more so by the fact that you're so torn up over what happened. I think that's my own narcissism or ego, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people think like, oh, I could have stopped it. I could have, you know, if I could have just got through, I could have talked him out of it. And I think that's just a, a human response. But the reality of the situation, there's no guarantee that I would have. After Udo shot and killed his wife, Kalia, and mother-in-law, Nikita, and turned the gun on himself, there were so many unanswered questions as to why this horrible tragedy occurred. What is clear is that Udo had an inability to deal with his anger, pain, and emotional turmoil about the breakdown of his marriage in a constructive way. He made a choice to drive to the house with a gun and start shooting no matter his state of mind. And grappling with the nuance of what Udo's thought process may have been is complex and confronting, as it always is when these crimes occur. Because on the other hand, it's both inaccurate and unfair to automatically pathologize every person who does something so horrific. We know that the majority of people who live with mental illness don't go out and commit terrible acts of violence against others. For people like Clay, who thought they knew Udo... The pain of realizing someone you love could be capable of such violence can make you question everything you thought you knew about the people in your life. And it can make you wonder whether you were in denial about their true nature the entire time. And understandably, Nikita and Kalia's families were completely and justifiably outraged. His family had petitioned Facebook or whatever and got Facebook to delete his page because he was getting so much hate from people who didn't know him you know, rotten hell, just foul, vulgar things. And it's like, there are people that care about him still. In no way, shape, or form do we condone what happened. And our heart goes out to his wife's family and 
his mother-in-law's family. It's clear that between leaving college and the murders a decade or so later, Udo underwent some level of profound change. That's to be expected to an extent when we're in our 20s. After all, we're still, to a large degree, figuring out who we are and how we define ourselves in relation to the world around us. But perhaps after moving to Atlanta, but well before the murders, Udo turned into a person that Clay wouldn't have recognized, but managed to hide it. The upheaval of Udo's marriage separation, which creates turmoil even in the most emotionally well-adjusted of people, would have been a sufficient precursor on its own for conditions like anxiety and depression. Right. And it's important here to talk a little bit about the structural challenges that the Black community faces in accessing the mental health care and treatment they need and deserve. According to Columbia University, Black adults are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems, such as major depression or anxiety. But due to a range of socio-historical and cultural factors, only 25% of Black people seek mental health treatment, compared to 40 of white people, while almost 10% of Black Americans don't have health insurance, which is almost double the rate of insured white Americans. And according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, only one in three Black adults who need mental health care actually receive it, and even then, they're not offered medication or therapy at the same rate as white people. When they are diagnosed, it's more often incorrectly identified as schizophrenia as opposed to a mood disorder or PTSD. And a key reason for the significant disparity in people of color seeking help is the entrenched stigma within the community. And this stigma goes back centuries into slavery when Black people were so dehumanized that they weren't even considered sophisticated enough to develop a mental illness. It's fucking disgusting and it's nauseating even saying that sentence out loud, but that's America for you. People of color often dismiss or diminish their own mental health concerns as stress or exhaustion. As fewer people in the Black community sought help, mental health conditions came to be seen as a personal failing and shrouded in shame. The lifelong effects of intergenerational and racial trauma, microaggressions, and the mistrust of authorities and unconscious bias are additional central reasons the Black community is less likely to seek treatment for mental illness. Oppression via sharecropping, segregation, race-based exclusion, police brutality, and enforced and legalized separation from healthcare only reinforces this trauma, which poses an increased risk of Black Americans developing mental illnesses. When you take into account a lack of cultural competence by healthcare providers, this only serves to further marginalize the Black community. And good luck trying to find a Black psychologist or Black mental health practitioner, because only about 2% of these exist of all of the health practitioners, mental health practitioners, only 2% are black. So imagine needing help and wanting to find a person who can relate to your unique experience, multi-generational traumas, and you can't find somebody to do that. That is so limiting and frustrating to hear. Often when people of color seek help, they do so through their church communities. And while spirituality and kinship ties fundamentally enhance psychological well-being and emotional healing, and that's a great thing to do, pastoral mentors are not qualified to provide clinical or diagnostic advice. They can give you emotional advice and, you know, but they're not going to tell you like, hey, that sounds a little um, imbalanced and maybe you need to be talking to a doctor, you know, like these mental illnesses can be very extreme and they need professionals to diagnose them. And being able to diagnose it is very nuanced and it's not like you can just look at somebody and say whatever. But learning all of these facts is the most sobering thing in the entire world. And it's like, it's almost set up that way that we just will never give equal care to Black people. Like it is the most depressing statistics that I've heard in a very fucking long time. Right. And when you're in a mental health crisis, it's even more difficult to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Because you're not, you know, brain illnesses. That's what we're talking about here, right? So in a lot of people who are struggling with their mental health are in denial. They're not going to advocate or seek help. They need, you know, outside forces to take notice. And often in medical settings, there's a lot of discrimination and racism when it comes to medicine. So like, it's a complete travesty that this is going on, but it is going on. And that's why we're talking about it today. Right. So we're going to get back to Clay. And as he searched for his own answers about what happened, he was really scouring the internet, trying to find something. And he realized how much misinformation really was out there about the killings. I was obsessing and I was like, no, there's got to be something more that, that, 
they just haven't reported yet. And so I kind of fell down the rabbit hole when I searched his name and I saw all these YouTube videos and something that, that really upset me was there was one and she was just talking how he was just an immigrant trying to become a citizen and it really upset me because I'm like, he's been here like just as long as I have. The bottom line, there's still so much we don't know and we'll never know. And Clay continues to struggle with the juxtaposition of mixed perspectives when it comes to pursuing the truth about what happened. He sometimes wonders if there's any point in continuing to dig around for answers. I wish I had answers for you. I wish I had answers for myself. And I mean, honestly, I'm angry at Udo too, but I'm angry for a different reason. I get them being angry at him and, and all that, but you know, at the same time, I still love him. And then there's some days when I'm just driving, and I'll be like, damn, Brody, I wish you were here. You know, I just wish I could talk to you again. The impact of Udo's actions have been lifelong for Clay. I'll be honest with you, like, it messed me up, like, on many, many, many different levels. Like, first of all, the fact that someone I loved and cared about was no longer with us. And I loved him like a brother. I actually went to therapy because of it, because it, it devastated me. There'll be some days, like, I just want to pick up the phone and call him. Or, you know, one of the kids do something funny, and I just want to send him the video or, or something like that. Then it hits me like I can't. And then it's like grieving all over again. Clay tries to keep Udo's memory alive as best he can, focusing on the positive memories of his friend rather than, you know, the horrible things he did in his final moments. Back in 2015, maybe 2016, he started doing what he called the pink party. And basically, whatever money that they were able to raise, he would donate it to women with breast cancer or that had survived breast cancer. Over the time he had been doing that, it was close to half a million dollars that had been donated to different charities and different individual women that had gone through or were going through fighting breast cancer. And that's just another example of this conundrum that has become Udomaka Nuwamu. There's so many layers to it. But last year we were able to do his celebration of life and have the pink party. And there's one picture of all of us. And I swear the way the light hit the lens and everything, it looks like there's a white figure standing behind us. And we just always like, oh, that's just Udo. He had to be in the picture. The ordeal has taught Clay and his friends invaluable lessons about managing their own mental health and keeping an eye out for other men. We'll say 10 years ago, if you'd had all four of us, me, Udo's brother, and our friend, if you'd had us sitting down and, all right, which one of you guys is going to lose your damn mind and, and shoot somebody and then probably kill yourself? I bet all four of us would have said me. I would expect this out of me and not him. And not that I am a violent person or anything like that. It's just because of all the mental health issues that I've had. And I neglected mental health. I used to think it was a joke until this happened. It's just still really, really surreal. But the remaining three of us are constantly doing better at checking on each other. If someone's struggling and you reach out to them, it'll show them, like, this situation I'm in is not the end-all, be-all. This isn't the end. There are still people that care about me. It showed me that I need help, and we all need help. And if we're feeling a certain type of way, we need to reach out to friends or there's crisis lines that you can call. And it also showed me that if there's an important person in your life, someone you love, care for, family, friend, that first moment that you feel like they might be struggling mentally, absolutely 100% reach out, check on them. And if it goes beyond that and you can't get through to them, then contact somebody who can. I had a similar situation Saturday night. I was struggling and I, I was in a, probably the darkest place I've been in my life. I was scared of the feelings I was having and I reached out to some people and they dropped everything they were doing came where I was at, sat with me for like two and a half hours until I was okay, until I was good to go. So if, if more people would take an approach like that, I think that the world would be a better place. 
people all over the country are dealing with mental health crises daily. Like we said, especially during the holidays. And it's important to tell stories like Udo's, like Kalia's, like Nikita's, and like Clay's for so many reasons. All of us throughout our lives encounter dark times at various stages. It can happen to anybody at any moment. Sometimes we're in control of it and sometimes we're not. It's also a stark and sobering reminder that even if Clay had reached Udo before the incident occurred, there's absolutely zero guarantee that Clay could have said, done, or changed anything. The ugly truth is that many Black Americans silently live and suffer through mental illness out of fear of judgment and the possible implications. Udo was struggling and felt he couldn't reach out for help, and we have compassion for how additionally difficult it is for other communities given the tremendous stigma attached to seeking mental health treatment, as well as a systemic racism in our healthcare system, which continues to adversely affect health outcomes for people of color. It's tragic for all involved that Udo couldn't see his way clear to take the advice he gave Clay and for others about not taking anger out on others. Instead, he saw no other way out and made a devastating, selfish, and painful choice, a choice that affects generations of people attached to Kalia and Nikita and Clay as well. But by being aware of the use of stigmatizing language around mental illness and educating ourselves about the challenges the Black community faces when it comes to mental illness, we can work towards breaking down barriers for treatment. To anyone out there that's struggling with thoughts of self-harm, there is help available through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988. And we do want to say a huge thank you to Clay for being our first degree and telling his story today. If you are listening right now and you have a story to tell, you can email us, hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com, follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon. We have so much bonus content for you over there and come back tomorrow for a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monica for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are the Douglas County Sheriff's Office, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Fox 5 Atlanta, Nigerian blogger Linda, Find a Grave, Legacy Funeral Home, SaharaReporters.com, McLean Hospital, Black Mental Health Alliance, National Alliance on Mental Illness, the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities, and Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.